Our scripture reading is from John 8, 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they had heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Shay. Today we have a story of an unexpected uh, encounter between the Savior and a sinful woman. Um, this woman did not seek out Jesus. Uh, like many of us when we were little kids, she was dragged uh, to church. Uh, and she was dragged to Jesus this day. Um, people who rarely know the Bible or anything about the Bible know at least one verse from this passage, he who is without sin, throw the first stone, right? Uh, because most people feel condemned by the church. Uh, I was working um, in a secular job at one point, and I had a, a supervisor over me, and um, she... Uh, had a, a different lifestyle than me, but I noticed she, she pretty much was mean to me the, from the very beginning. I didn't understand why. And, um, and I asked her one day after a couple of months, I said, you know, have I done something to offend you? And she said, uh, I said, because I noticed you treat me differently than you do everybody else you work with. And she said, well, I heard you were a Christian. I said, yeah. And she said, I, I heard you do like, you know, pastor stuff. I said, yeah. And um, she said, I know you hate us. And I went, what? Well, Christians hate us. And I go, who told you that? <laughs> and that was her opinion. And that's what I recently have been talking to a number of different people some believers that say, I don't go to church anymore. Uh, they would claim the name of Christ, but they said, I just don't, you know, people is just too much for me now. Uh, and then I, um, yesterday we, Lynn and I were uh, buying some um, appliances and there was a 19 year old kid that was our, um, uh, our salesperson. He did a great job. Um, and he said, well, yeah, I used to go to church, but the church I went to, and he gave me the name of the church, and it was some church in Hickory. And uh, he said, but there's too many hypocrites there, so now I'm going to another church. <laughs> you know, having been in the ministry for a long time, usually I tell folks when I have a longer opportunity to talk to them, I said, here's what I want you to do next time. I want you to go to church with a pad of paper and write down all the things you see that are wrong. And then when you're through, write all the things that are right. And I'm not telling you to do a plus and minus. What I'm saying is, 
all that you see are wrong. People that are there, they want to hear about Jesus because they know there's wrong things. We come wounded. Well, so this story um, begins one early one morning when the crowd is gathered at the temples. The, the Feast of Tabernacles had just finished, so evidently there was a large crowd in the area. And uh, Jesus sits down and teaches. And he's suddenly interrupted by the religious leaders that are going through the crowd, making a huff, and dragging a lady, a, a woman, to the front of the crowd and to the face of Jesus. Um, so who are these men that are dragging this, this girl, this young lady? Um, well, they're the religious leaders. They're the teachers of the law. They are the ones who teach about high moral standards. Um, they're supposed to be reputed as men of wisdom. Um, they, if you had a question about the law of Moses, these were the people you talked to. They, they knew it. Um, but although they were religious on this particular day, they were not godly and their intentions were not good. They were proud, self-confident. They were uh, arrogant, ruthless, manipulative, and thoroughly cunning. Um, someone has said that they were eager for, eager in their anger. Um, what about the woman? What do we know about her? Well, we don't know if she's single or engaged or married. This is the only instance in the scripture that has this story in it. So we can only speculate uh, what previous relationship she had with the men. We don't know. We don't know how that happened. We don't know if she's young or middle-aged. Um, how did they catch her in the act of adultery? You know, there's sometimes when you're reading the Bible, you kind of say, I want a little more detail. Could you tell me a little more? But um, we do know that, according to the law of Moses, adultery was a capital offense. Uh, the law demanded that if someone was accused of adultery, there had to be at least a minimum of two eyewitnesses. Um, it would not be enough to say, hey, I saw this guy and this girl going into this uh, house or this you know, room or whatever, and then they came out later. That would not be sufficient. It had to be eyewitness. It had to be in the act of adultery. And that's why the scripture says here, the act of adultery. Um, so otherwise, it would not be accepted. They, and so it begs the question, how did they happen to catch this scene in the act? Um, and the question is, obviously, where's the man? <laughs> they dragged the woman here. Where is the man? Um, adultery, by definition, has two people. And um, somehow this man escaped, but the woman didn't. Uh, perhaps it was a setup. Perhaps they talked the man into seducing this woman. And then once they caught her, they let him uh, walk, if that was the case. Could you imagine the guilt that should have been on these religious leaders that they not only orchestrated adultery, but they were trying to orchestrate murder as well because the result should be that, that both of them be um, stoned. These men didn't care about this woman one way or the other. Um, I do believe it was a setup, and I think it was, the setup happened because they, they had such a hatred of Jesus. 
Now, we've talked about that in the past couple weeks ago, and so I'm not going to go on to that, but why did they feel the need to expose her publicly in front of this large crowd? Because that was a part of their trap. They wanted as many um, witnesses to this fact. They thought they had checkmated Jesus, that he had no turn to go, that he would come out uh, okay. Somehow his reputation was going to be ruined by this setup scenario, um, this trap laid. Um, Moses in the scriptures in Leviticus and Deuteronomy talk about that people caught in adultery should be stoned. Nothing in the text here suggests that this lady was innocent. She was guilty. According to Leviticus 20 and Deuteronomy 22, both parties were to be put to death, but obviously the man's not there. In Deuteronomy 17, verses 1 through 10, it talks about how when that, this situation happens that's described in this passage, they were to go to the city gates where everybody could see, and they would, the eyewitnesses had to pick up stones, and um, the study I found that the stones were stones of sufficient size and weight, I would imagine they were a little bigger than a softball, that the first eyewitness had to throw the first stone, the second eyewitness had to throw the second stone, and on like that. And, and they were designed, the stones were heavy enough that, that the person should die quickly. Well, this, it was to be, obviously, that would de deter um, adultery, but um, it was also designed to be a quick death. So there was a lot at stake in this scenario this morning that Jesus is trying to teach. But Jesus turns the table on these hypocrites by presenting this woman to Jesus. The leaders, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, hope to get him on what's called the horns of a dilemma. Have you heard that phrase before? That if you go one way, you're, you're basically damned. If you go the other way, you're damned. And choice number one would be, okay, put her to death. Moses says, put her to death. And then he would be in rebellion to the Roman Romans because the Jews did not have the permission to put anybody to death. And he would come across as cruel, right? Then the other option was to not put her to death, not have her stoned, and then he would be in violation of the Old Testament law and he would be going against Moses. So it didn't look like there was any way out. Now we should note that these religious leaders did not care about this woman at all. In fact, in, the, in our text, it calls her this woman. It, you know, when I read it, it, it kind of, you could almost go to that verse and it goes, and this woman, almost like they turn to her while they say that uh, as a sign of derision. That's just my um, interpretation of that, is in violation of everything that we hold true. So they had this evil eagerness that led them to publicly degrade this woman in an attempt to ruin Jesus' reputation. So the trap is laid, what's Jesus going to do? Verse 7 says, Jesus bent down and started right on the ground with his finger. Another place I wish they'd have given a little more detail. Um, I had a friend say, are you going to tell us what he wrote on the ground? I, I don't know for sure, but I can tell you what the theologians of, over the history has said. 
which are somewhat humorous. Um, some have thought that he simply, and by the way, the word right is only used in this passage in the New Testament. And it can, the definition means to either write a list or to doodle. So we don't know, it doesn't give us a whole lot of leeway what, what, what exactly it means. But some have said that when he bent down, that he wrote the Ten Commandments. Other people have said that he wrote the Ten Commandments and then he wrote the names of the Pharisees and teachers of the law beside the commandment they were guilty of just recently. Another writer said, no, they wrote the names of the teachers of the law and then they wrote their girlfriend's names that weren't their wife, which caused them to leave more quickly. So we don't know what they wrote. Nobody knows what Jesus wrote. But one thing we do know that when they brought this woman to Jesus, she was caught in the act of adultery. She was most likely naked. And if she was, and all the attention was on her, Jesus, I think, graciously takes the attention away from her and bends down, looks at the ground, and starts writing and puts the attention on that rather than, than her. Um, since the situation was what it was. And then, having been dragged away, he says this famous verse, if any one of you is without sin, let him throw, be the first to throw a stone at her. And no doubt he was talking about Deuteronomy 7 and this punishment that should be inflicted according to them. But the law protected people that were accused because it also says in Deuteronomy, if someone falsely accuses someone of this and it is found out that later they threw the first stone, the second stone, and they killed someone, it's found out later they were wrong, they also got that punishment. So the stakes were rather high. Uh, I think that we ought to institute that today. If someone sues you and you win the case, they ought to have to pay you whatever they were trying to sue you for. It might cut out a whole lot of litigation, but that's a whole nother, uh, nother talk. Um, he's saying before you pick up the stone, take a good look at yourself. Take a look, good look in your moral mirror and see if you qualify to put this woman to death. If not, put the stone down. And interesting, uh, it went from the older to the younger. The older men dropped the stones, pop, pop, pop. And then the younger ones. They wanted to talk about this woman and her guilt and her sin and her shame. Jesus turned the tables and wanted to talk about them. The focus changes from the woman to your sin, and if you throw the first stone. Our Lord saw the woman's sin, and he also saw their hypocrisy. She doesn't deny her sin, and they do deny theirs. They were convicted that they began to disappear one at a time. Um, they wanted to trap him. They ended up trap, being trapped by him, exposed, um, basically, they exposed themselves. Jesus found this third way, not what they, the, the horns of a dilemma. He, 
This is a great, uh, just about the only Latin term I know is tertium quid. It means the third way. It means when you feel like you're in a binary situation and you can only do one thing or the other, and both of them are going to come out wrong, you need to remember this story and that Jesus came up with a whole different way that worked out better for everybody. Um, here is how our Lord treated this woman. He faced her. He straightened up and looked at her. He questioned her, woman, where are they? He forgave her, neither do I condemn you. And he challenged her, go now and leave your life of sin. He treated her sin with total honesty. He didn't um, say you didn't do what you did do. He imparted grace and hope and he gave, forgave her sin and, and encouraged her to start a new life. Now, he's saying you have committed adultery, but there's more to your life than your sin. You can be much more than you have been. You can turn from this sin once for all. You can have a new life. Basically, that's what Jesus is telling her. It's ironic that Jesus was the only one qualified to stone this woman, and instead he forgave her. Only one qualified to do that. Um, but the witnesses now, this accusation has been made. The witnesses are gone, and so the the, the case is over. She's, she's not legally guilty now of, um, of in, in, to be stoned. Interesting about this woman, she made no excuses. But there is more to this dismissal of charges. It says, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Look at her answer in verse 11. And I don't think I'm stretching this, but she simply says, no one, sir. No, no, that's what is translated in NIV. I like the translation that's in your, in your um, bulletin, no one, Lord. I think this situation prompted her to call the Savior Lord. What an interesting testimony. How did you come to know the Lord? The story she would have to tell. I think this is a very brief statement of faith. She makes no excuses, but waits for the Lord to, vend, you know, to render his verdict. And in Christ, he saw, she saw something different than she'd seen in the men that just dragged her to Jesus. They got, she got contempt from them. No respect, no dignity at all. And from Jesus, she got just the opposite. Now, I like to ask questions of the scripture. Why didn't she leave when the rocks were dropped? And why didn't she just skedaddle? Why didn't she leave when the, when the accusers left? But she stood there and she trusted Jesus to do what was right. We read, we sang earlier, lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. I think that would apply to her. Let's wrap up the story um, with a few brief thoughts. I think an appropriate application is we are all like this woman. We are all truly guilty in the eyes of a holy God. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, we all deserve death. We are helpless and unable to change our condition. We are doomed and damned unless someone steps in to help us. We are, 
we can't buy our way out of trouble. We can't manipulate our way out of trouble. We are condemned by our conscience. We're condemned by our own moral guilt. We're often condemned by others. And to be truthful, if everybody knew everything about us, we'd be condemned any, even more, right? That would be my scenario. And some people have said, you know, when you present this gospel message, say, I don't like this at all because she was guilty Someone needed to pay for that sin, and guess what? Her sin was paid for. Jesus did that outside of Jerusalem on a cross. He paid for that sin. Justice happened. When he died on the cross, he took the, that, her guilt, her judgment, the stones that should have fallen on her, basically he took all that on the cross. And it's interesting, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, I grew up in the Baptist church. I used to hear a lot, uh, you need to be saved from your sins. Have you heard that before? And I always thought that I, you know, being saved my sins is that I'm saved and then I won't sin anymore. And that didn't work. You know, we're not saved from our sins, right? God does come inside us and live his life inside from the inside out. And we more and more can die to our sin, more and more live to Christ. But we are not saved from our sins. We are saved from God's wrath. In Romans 8, in Romans 5, Romans 8, everywhere it says that Jesus was, God was going to pour out his wrath on sin. And what Jesus did when he died on the cross, he took that wrath and took, pulled it over and he redeemed us. He propitiated that wrath. He took away the, the wrath that would fall on us and took it upon himself. That's what he did. That's what we're saved from. We're saved from God's wrath. And so he provided that. Nobody else could have done it. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. I do not condemn you because one day soon I will be condemned for you. Galatians 3 says, Christ became a curse for us when he died on the cross. He took our pain, our shame, and our guilt, and the heavy load of our sin upon himself. He didn't say, sin no more, and I won't condemn you. That's sometimes what we get in the church. Sin no more, and I won't condemn you. Jesus says, I will forgive you and give you the power to break free from a life of sin. Not Religion says, change or I will condemn you. Jesus says, I forgive you. Now let me help you change your life. Nothing motivates us more than grace. Rules don't. Jesus never lessens the seriousness of the sin of adultery. He didn't say it wasn't any big deal. He didn't say, I'm going to let it slide. He didn't say, it's not your fault. He simply forgives her sin because she sinned. No wonder they call Jesus the friend of sinners. Our sins are many. His mercy is, we just sang it, is more. His mercy is more. I want to tell you a, a, a truth. You can't change the sin of your past. There's nothing you can do to change it. But it can be forgiven. And God can change your future. This, what Jesus did for this woman, he could do for you and for me. He was willing to die for that sin of adultery, for the theft, for your theft, for my theft, for hatred, for anger, for blasphemy. He's willing to die for those teachers of the law. And by the way, Scripture tells us some of the Pharisees, some of the teachers of the law did come to believe in him. 
If you feel that heavy weight of sin, run to the cross where Jesus is a friend of sinners. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I'm thankful. I, I, I always remember when I first trusted Christ, and I've told you a little bit about that. But I had no hope without him. One last thing, and I'll, I'll close with this. I'm a father of four adult um, women. Um, and I've been thinking, if I was this woman's d dad, and she came home after this morning experience that we just read about and just looked at, and she says, Dad, I got something to tell you. I could almost live through his emotions. Dad, I committed adultery with, and he, he might go, I don't want to know who. But he, he probably just didn't say anything. But you can see his emotions roaring. And he said, then the religious leaders burst into the room and grabbed me while I was in the act and dragged me out of the room. And they took me down the hill and over another hill to where this man named Jesus was teaching. They call him the Messiah. And he's going, they did what? Yeah. And they put me right there in front of all these people. And I could see the dad's heart breaking. How embarrassing that would be. And then she went on to tell the story. He who has no sin, throw the first stone. And dad, they dropped the stones and they walked away. And he looked me in the eye and he forgave me. And he says he doesn't condemn me. I wonder how that dad would respond to his daughter. And then imagine if you are a brother or sister of this woman. And in another situation, they sit and hear this story. What would you feel about Jesus after hearing that story from this woman? How would you respond? My imagination goes on. Let's say this lady does, as she trusts in Christ, and then grows and eventually gets married. And when her kids are much older... Not children, much older. And she says, I need to tell you a story that shaped my life. And you need to know this. And she tells her adult children what happened. And she goes through the scenario, doesn't pull back anything. She doesn't hold back anything and gives the story in detail. And I could imagine one of the children said, Oh, Mom, you were so lucky. I think she would correct them and so no, I wasn't lucky. I was loved. Could you imagine some year, some time later, not, I mean, later after telling her dad, that she hears that Jesus has been crucified on the cross 
by the religious leaders. I'm sure she would go around and tell everybody, I know how they work. He was innocent. What a pivotal story in the life of this woman and her family. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Let's pray together. Father, I guess it's our time to respond to this story to you. It's our time to recognize our own sin, even though it hasn't been publicly portrayed, it hasn't been publicly shown to everybody, it's still, it's still our guilt. And Father, we're thankful that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you still forgive sin. And you show mercy to us who desperately need it. And you show it to those that mock you. Father, help us not forget the gospel is for sinners, of which we are one. So, Father, would our zeal for sharing this good news with others grow? Would our tenderness toward those who are in shame be like yours? Help us as a church to be known for looking people in the eye when they want to run away. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.